0: I never used to believe in this, that children of God, you can actually live in a curse. You can live the cursed life. Very simple. Let me just share with you. For most of us here in South Africa, some of us have never gone back home. I don't have any witnesses there. Is that true? There are some who have come in South Africa in the past five years. Some of them in the past 10 years, some 15, some even more. We have never gone back home. Some of us here, the last time that you communicated with your parents would be three, four years ago. And the last time that you sent anything home would have been years before COVID-19. And here you're enjoying yourself in South Africa. And your parents back home are suffering. And they can easily pronounce a curse upon your life. And when they do, because there's a cause, the curse would stick then you begin to face storms in South Africa and you think it's because of other things other than you failing to do what is required of you. It says you are worse than an unbeliever if you don't take care of your own household, members of your own family, your father and your mother back home. Disobedience can lead to curses, a cursed life. Where you move in disobedience even in the house of the Lord, there are people who can curse people like pastors Parents, spiritual parents and biological parents. And the spiritist, when there is a cause, you're living in bitterness. Do you know that when you're living in a bitterness, you open yourself, your, your, your spirit to, to, to devilish attacks. That when a witch pronounces a curse upon your life, the curse would hold. Why? Because there is bitterness in your life. There is sin in your life. So when there is cause, a curse can be attached. And equal your king. I know of a story of a man that we used to work with. And this man, they they were a a, a team. Both were pastors. One was a pastor in a Pentecostal church. One was a pastor of the Zion type of churches. And the pastor would fast and pray because the business was going through difficult times. At one time, the Zion pastor, they were both pastors having a business and were having business with these guys. The Zion pastor, the co-owner of this company, one day one of our drivers was sitting in Marathon He's sitting in his car. And this old pastor came out of his own car. He came parked by the side. He didn't realize that our driver was by his side. He came out of the car. He went into a Sangoma's place. He stayed there 40, 50 minutes there. Then he came loaded with some stuff. And he drove and he went away. You must be careful who you get into business with. You must be careful who you're married to. You must be careful who your friends are. Because at equal yorking, these guys that I'm talking about, my wife would know what we're passing through in our company. They owe us 1.7 million runs. The business. They'll give us business, we'll do it with our expenses, with our monies, and they'll fail to pay. The company right now is closed. And the guy, the guy is, is going for deliverance. I don't know what he's thinking, the, the, what is the problem. But little does he know, he, he didn't know this, that his partner is involved in the walkout. So an equal yoking can lead you into serious storms. You must be careful. So these are some of the common things that will lead us into storms. But now, I want you to know this. That when you sin now, most of the times you don't reap there and there. You don't. I want to give you the example of the man David in 2 Samuel chapter 2. So I'll go through this very quickly. David, one day he didn't go to war when others are going to war. When others are going for a conference, you decide to go somewhere else. When others are going to church, you decide to go to work. When others are doing what they're doing for God, you decide to do your own thing. This is what David did. And as a result, he fell into sin. He committed sexual immorality, and he got the lady pregnant, Bathsheba. And after realizing that Bathsheba was pregnant, what did he do? He tried to to do some shortcuts, but failed. Eventually killed the husband of Bathsheba. So we want to take it from there now. 2nd uh, Samuel chapter 12, verse 18. I want to show you something there. 2nd Samuel chapter 12, verse 18. That when we sin, God forgives us. Tell your neighbor that when you sin, God forgives you. So when I see 2 Samuel twelve thirteen, David has sinned now. And he's, maybe he has realized it or not, but Nathan the prophet has come and he told David that David what you did is not right, you have sinned before God. Then David responded to Nathan and he admitted that I have sinned against the Lord. So David here is saying, I have sinned, he's in agreement. And then what did the prophet Nathan say? He says to David. The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Hallelujah. Let's clap hands to Jesus. So the Lord is ready. is willing to forgive our sins. But now, it's not that easy. Let's then go back to to verse, um, verse 11. Verse 10, actually. Let's go to verse 10 and verse 11. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verse 10. Now, therefore, this is Nathan now, the man of God. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you've despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own wife. He said, now, the sword will not be removed from your house. But what did he say? He says, he is forgiven. The man is being forgiven of his sins, but there's going to be a sword. How do we know that? Because even his own son, Absalom, killed his own brother, Amnon. After Amnon, he raped Tamar, his sister. The sword remained in the house of David up until there was a split in the nation of Israel into two, Judah and Israel. And also you see, let's let's go to verse 11. What then happened? This is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes and you will sleep with them publicly. So there was incest in the house of David. Where we say the Amnon raped his own sister, his half-sister. As a result of one single episode where David failed to control himself. When he saw a beautiful woman and sinned against God. One sin led to the other, to the next up until he committed murder. And God was not happy with it. Let's go to verse 14. Verse 14. What does it say? However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. So, remember, Bethsheba, Bethsheba got pregnant, and then God says, the son, the fruit of this, 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 this immolarity relationship, this immoral relationship will die. So, but if you read verse 13, it says, your sins have been forgiven. But sins are forgiven, and then storms come. So today, as I stand here, I want to say there are storms that might come in our lives, not because of father and mother or tete, auntie, and uncle back home who are then doing their stuff at the the, the, whatever, devilish altar, the altar of the devil. No. Sometimes it is the result of a sinful lifestyle. That's why now we begin to reap. So when that happens... When you begin now to reap because you have done wrong, it's your fault, God is always a way out. Hallelujah, somebody. God is always a way out. I know here there are some people who are going through stuff. Currently, you're going through stuff. You might be going through a marriage challenge. You're thinking otherwise. You might be going through financial difficulties. It might be children. I've got a nephew who is a pastor and his son is in drugs, doing drugs. It's a difficult thing for any parent. We're still for a pastor to have a child who is addicted to drugs. You might be sick in your body. What is the storm that you're going through? Is it because... You are reaping. Is it because of a sinful lifestyle? You might have caught a disease that's causing you problems today. But God has a way out for you. Hallelujah, somebody. So I want to talk about the principles of true repentance. Principles of true repentance. So what is repentance? What is repentance? This is the only way that you can eventually If you move in this direction, you come out of the storm. And the storm will not destroy you, although it's your fault. Although it's your fault. If you then continue reading, excuse me, God then acknowledges as David as a man after his own heart. When Solomon was old, about to die, then God brings it out uh, that uh, to his son, that you're going to take over this. I'm going to separate the kingdom into two for the sake of your grandfather, David. But look, this is the David that we're talking about who caused all this mess in the beginning. And God says, he is a man after my own heart. He is a man who would listen to me. He is a man who would love me. He is a man who would sing songs and psalms to me. He is a man who would listen and do what I say. You know why? Yes, David messed up, but David knew the trick of confessing his sins. And repenting. So I want to share with you the same thing. That when we speak about repentance, we're talking about a change of heart and a change of mind. And this change then brings us closer to God. It requires us to regret the past and also to pursue a new direction. So if you're going in this direction, you see this is not the right direction that I'm supposed to go, then you turn and you go the right direction. That's repentance. So, Repentance, where does it come from? Repentance comes from the goodness of God's heart. Without God, there is no true repentance. Hallelujah. Okay, let's read Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans 2, the King, King James Version. Let me have the King James Version. Romans 2, verse 4. Let's see what then... Paul says to the Romans, Romans 2 verse 7 says, However, because you uh, or despised thou the riches of his goodness and forbearing and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Okay, can I read that again? Um, or despises all the riches of his goodness and forbearance and so long suffering. So, people who are uninformed, they despise, they lack understanding of how God is good to us, of how God, how he is patient, and how he is so long suffering. And what we need to know is this that the goodness of God, some versions will say his patience, some say his, 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 his love or his grace for us. Is that which leads to repentance. Let me tell you something here. Let me tell you something. Do you know that even born again Christians, there is not even one who seeks after God? I want that to sink. There's not even one who seeks after God. All of us, have been swayed in the direction of the flesh. We seek that which pleases us. Were it not for God when we were sinners that he sent his son to die for us, nobody will be seeking after God. So the author of repentance is God himself. It's his goodness. It's his love for us. It's his grace. In fact, he says in his word, he says this. He says, I have chosen you you have not chosen yourself. I'm the one who have chosen you and called you to produce fruit and fruit that lasts. So it is the goodness of God that leads to, to true repentance. So unless you allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, unless you begin to realize that sin in your life needs to be confessed and needs to be left alone, and you need to stand strong and resist the devil, unless you do that, you'll still be under the shackles of sin. Okay, let's read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 and 9. You will see that it's godly sorrow that leads also to repentance. So the author or the origins of true repentance is God himself. Because many a times we sin, many a times we Go according to our wisdom and understanding. And were it not for the Holy Spirit who would then come from time to time, the Spirit of the Lord will come from time and convict us of sin. And he says, what you've done is not right. What you've done, and it gives us no peace in our hearts. From time to time, it's God himself who comes in. Okay, for although I grieved you with my letter, I do not regret it. Remember, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. These guys, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, from verse 1 going down, you realize that the Corinth people, the Christians at Corinth, had uh, uh, a lot of stuff that was happening. There was one young man there who slept with his stepmother, and the people didn't do nothing about it. They didn't even rebuke that. They let it carry on. And I believe maybe the young man was in present worship, and he kept on leading present worship. And then Paul says, "No, no, no, no. We can't be doing that." So in his letter, then he was very hard on them. So he says, I do not regret, even though I did regret it since I saw that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. So he was uh, a on this uh, Corinthians in his first letter. Let's read verse 9. Now I am rejoicing, not because you were grieved, but because you, your grief led to repentance. So there is a certain grief that leads to repentance, unless until we have this kind of grief, we will continue in the same manner that we've been doing stuff. Okay. For you were grieved as God willed. So it's the will of God for us to have this kind of sorrow, this type of grief, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. Okay, I think we should read verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation, but worldly grief produces death. Hallelujah. So what is this godly grief that produces this type of repentance? That's what I want to get into. So I want to talk about the three levels of repentance. The three levels of repentance. The three levels of repentance. Remember, I'm talking about the principles of true repentance. That which leads us to repent so that the storms that come in our lives, we know that soon we are out of, we can see clearly that the storm is over and the Lord has forgiven our sins. Okay. So we want to go to the three levels of repentance. So the first level is a level that God has ordained for you as an individual, that you have the Holy Spirit in you and you should be the one, the first one to judge yourself. You must be the first to judge yourself. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31. If we judge ourselves, we will not come under judgment. So the first thing that we need to do that we must know, what I have done is wrong. What I have done is wrong. Straight away, you ask God for forgiveness. You confess your sins. So I'm saying this because there are some people who, when they sin, they don't come to church. They stop praying. They stop having fellowship with others. They stop reading the Bible because they've sinned. So I'm here to correct that. That when you sin, there is a way out for you. Confess your sins. Be the first to judge yourself. Lord, I have sinned. I have messed up. Forgive me. You're feeling so dirty. You're feeling so guilty. It's a part of the deal. It's part of the grief and the sorrow. Before you're exposed, confess your sins. Possibly confess your sins if you're a husband to your wife, if a wife to your husband, or to those in your circles. Confess your sins one to another, to those whom you trust. Tell your neighbor, confess your sins. So if we judge ourselves, we will not fall under judgment. Galatians 6 verse 4. I want us to read Galatians 6 verse 4 to 8. Then we hear what it says. Galatians 6 verse 4 to 8. Galatians 6 verse 4 to 8. So you as a Christian judge yourself first. Okay, let's go quickly. But each person should examine his own work and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else. Let's go verse 5. For each person will have to carry his own load. It's your responsibility. Verse 6, the one who is taught the message must share his his goods with the teacher. Okay, verse 7, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will reap. So what you sow, you reap. Okay, verse 8, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Hallelujah. So the first step that you do, in the three levels of repentance, is repent. Confess your sins to God and confess your sins to those whom you trust so that you are helped. The moment you expose something, then it loses its power. So the second level of repentance is that then if you fail to repent, and then we see it, because now uh, some people think that when we were in church uh, and you do your stuff, <laughs> We don't see it. Uh, we, we do. God has got serious ways of revealing stuff. <laughs> serious ways of revealing stuff. You know, I've, I've had uh, uh, one of my sons, long back, I've had uh, one of his child come to me and reveal <laughs> things says, Daddy, this is what is happening. One, two, three, four. And I knew straight away. And because I'm a father, says, please don't, don't tell him. Otherwise i been be in serious trouble. He would know that I'm the one who told you. Use your wisdom as a father. Yeah, he needs help. And straight away I begin to pray and to seek the face of the Lord regarding his life. So you, you might think that, you yeah, have done this thing and nobody knows. And God has good these ways of revealing these kind of things. But if we fail, there is a way out. We confess our sins and we repent. True repentance begins when we repent ourselves of our sins. But then if we fail to do that, then we must be humble enough to allow the church to judge us. But if we are full of pride, we can talk to God Face-to-face, then it's fine. Then you deal with God. But one thing that I know, that when you deal with God, God knows everything. He can't accept bribes. God doesn't accept bribes. You can't lie to God. So you actually at a disadvantage. Because to me, you might tell me, and don't tell me the whole story, the embarrassing details. But God knows. So I will say to you, okay, let's pray. I will stand in the gap and also cry to God. God forgive my son. God forgive my daughter. And the Lord honors these levels of authority and you will be forgiven. Hallelujah. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 79. Hebrews 12, verse 79. I want you to know that the believer is under a father-child relationship where mercy and forgiveness is provided. The sin of God's people is judged now. God deals with individuals through discipline and correction. Now. Okay, let's read. Ensure it as a discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. Now that you, you're being disciplined, these are storms that come in your life. Hallelujah. When God is disciplining now, you go through storms because you, you have failed. And then for you, for God to speak to you sometimes, you have to be in a hospital. And you are almost dying. And then when God speaks, you hear you. Otherwise, some of the sickness that we go through is just as just failing to appreciate these levels of repentance. Sometimes it, it takes a child to being sick, almost to death. Sometimes there's actual death in the family. Death of a close person that God will reach out to you so that you hear God. Not that God is killing that person for your sake. No. But God can use that situation to speak to you. Some of these storms in our lives are because we're failing to understand how God operates. Hallelujah. Okay, so for what son is there whom a father does not discipline? So, because you have failed to listen to the authority that God has placed, God will discipline you. Okay, let's go. But if you are without discipline, which we all receive, then you are illegitimate, an illegitimate child and not a son. Okay, verse uh, 9. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we also submit even more to the father uh, of spirits and live? You can carry on. You can carry on and on and on and read right to the end. But the fact of the matter is that God judges his sons and daughters. Why? Because he loves us. So these are storms that will come because of, of, of what we have involved ourselves in. I know a lot of us, we when we are in...